That was beautiful, beautiful. It's a, 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 an old hymn carol that we may not even know, but a great, great reminder about why Jesus came. He came. He came to die for us, and that uh, it's it's just such a, a great reminder. And the uh, the Christmas songs have been. So great to hear, and they tell the story. And for all of you who were part of making that known to others on Wednesday night, all of you who were musicians or you were singers or some uh, the children who were uh, participating on Wednesday night, thank you, thank you. We had a beautiful, beautiful candlelight service here on Wednesday. It was just fantastic, and it was all about Jesus And God bless you, all of you who participated, and God bless you all who were part of it. And uh, I just, I I pray that the scriptures that were given and recited and the children's pageant that told the story and uh, all of it, uh, the word that, that was given, that it just blesses you that it blesses you and lifts you and encourages you. It was all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the Christ child coming and why he came. Uh, it's Jesus who we're focusing on, that's for sure. And we can't give enough attention to Jesus. We can never talk about him enough. We can never give him enough attention. Uh, why he came, his first arrival, the life he lived, the sacrifice he made, which we sung all about in our, in our time of worship. Jesus The Savior did come to die. That's the big picture. That's that's the big deal. Last week I talked about seeing Jesus in the little things. Like Simeon, who saw this ordinary couple coming into the temple, and he went over to Jesus and he said, this is the Savior of the world. An ordinary experience. And we talked about seeing Jesus in all these ordinary life moments. But let's never, ever, ever miss the hugeness of Jesus. The reason that he came, the big, huge picture, the big deal, that Jesus, the Savior, did come to die for poor, ornery ornery people like you and I. I don't say ornery too much. It was a good word. I know I've been ornery. And Jesus, my Savior, came for poor, ornery people. That's that's the vastness of our Savior. He came for that purpose, to save us from our sin. Why did Jesus become a man? Sin, sin. This is, let's never, ever miss that. Sin, it brought death. And I want to begin this morning with a reminder of that, a reminder of this hugeness, the reason, let's never miss it, let's see it. If Jesus is this big burning sun rising and he's shining light in the darkness, let's not miss primary, the reason he came, sin. And there's reminders for us, the very opening pages of the Bible. Genesis, the first book, I wanna share with you a couple of passages from chapter two. And chapter 3, Genesis 2, 16 and 17, and Genesis 3, verses 2 to 6. This is, this is the beginning 
of the reason why Jesus had to be born. Genesis 2, 16 and 17 say, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Genesis 3, verses 2 to 6, gives us a little different take on this. Verse 2 in chapter 3, the woman said to the serpent, as she's being tempted, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So there's just a retelling of the the first rebellion in the Garden of Eden, God's word to the first man. Every tree in the garden is yours, but not this one. Don't eat from it, you will certainly die. The woman, when she was tempted, she told the tempter, this is what God said. You must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. Don't even touch it or you will die. Yeah, but that first couple, they were rebellious. They did not heed the word of God. They ate from the forbidden tree. They committed sin. They rebelled against God. And what happened? Death followed, exactly what God had said. And now darkness overshadowed life. The shadow of death. The darkness of death. But the wonderful, wonderful news, the good news which we want to share, we want to tell people, we want to tell it from the mountain, is that God had a plan, the plan for salvation from death, the plan for Jesus. It was announced to that very first couple. The Lord told them, one would come to crush the head of the tempter. Since death was the consequence for sin, the plan was that someone would come to live a sinless life, and then he'd give his life. He would receive the just penalty for sin. That was death. He would pay a debt he didn't know because he would be sinless. He would receive the consequence for sin, and that's death. He who knew no sin became sin. That was part of what we sung today, and it, it's true. That was the plan. He would die, but not for himself, for everyone else, for their sin. It's, it's an amazing plan. It's one that it's hard for us to comprehend. And, and God unfolded it. He chose a people, the Jewish people, to reveal this plan too, to reveal more of it. And it was through that Jewish people that the Savior would come, and God patiently revealed not only his plan, but he revealed himself to this, these, these people of Israel. And he gave them direction and he gave them instructions and he gave them commandments. And this was his word. He put down his word. 
And then God emphasized the destructive nature of sin and, and the need to deal with it. Because sin was so significant, it required life. It required a life to make atonement. And God said, listen, I will accept a substitute. You don't have to die every time you sin. I'll accept a substitute. And that was either a lamb, a goat. This whole sacrificial system began and it became a way of life for the Jewish people. And, and God allowed intermediaries, priests, to offer the people's sacrifices. And all of this was doing what? It was presenting this image, this picture of the coming Savior, what he was going to do. He was going to be this intermediary, and he was going to offer his sinless life as atonement for sin for everybody. But until that time, priests were needed. We heard Pastor Noah up here saying, we don't need the priests anymore. God calls us, you know, a, 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 a priests ourselves. We're a people of, that are a holy nation, a royal priesthood because of Jesus. And he, he, he eliminated that because he became the intermediary. But until he came, these priests were needed. And the people, those who were faithful to God, those who had a little bit of grasp on this plan of God, they waited, they anticipated, they looked for this coming Savior who would, who would take care of this, who would relieve them from the burden of sacrifice. But most of them, most however, they, they did not look for this. They reveled in their sin. They reveled in their rebellion against God. You can just read the Old Testament. You will see that. Oftentimes, it was the leaders of the people, the kings and the priests, that led them to sin, that led them to rebel against God. Now, from time to time, there would be a good leader. There would be a leader who would be faithful to God, but that was never really long-lived. Very often, it was the leaders who were responsible to lead the people to God, and they were leading the people away from God to reject God. Sin reigned. Like the first couple who decided they knew better. They knew better than God. God's chosen people followed that same path of rebellion time and time again, generation after generation. Some were humble enough to admit, I've sinned. And they would yield their lives to follow God, but it was a few I talked about it a couple weeks ago, this biblical word, a remnant. And those faithful few, they waited and they anticipated. They looked to God to fulfill his promise to send the Savior who would save them from this whole sacrificial system and, and redeem them of their sin. And as the time approached for that plan to become a reality, God looked to a faithful priest to announce Jesus is near. The Savior is near. Now, this priest's name was Zechariah. He's introduced in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Zechariah's wife gave birth to a, a child, a son. And that was a miracle son because she was well advanced in her years, way beyond childbearing years, but God blessed her. And when that child, that son, was eight days old, they were going to do what... Uh, was the, the right and the custom that was to circumcise their son at eight days. And the neighbors came and the relatives came and uh, there was this crowd of people and they wondered, 
This boy's name is John. They said, you don't have any Johns in the family line. Why are you naming him John? It can't be. And Zechariah, the priest, he spoke up. He was the father. He said, no, no, his name's John. And then he began to prophesy about his son. And some call this Zechariah's song. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 1. I want to look at the closing lines of Zechariah's song this morning. Let's consider it. It's Luke chapter 1. It's verses 76 to 79. Zechariah talking about his son John and then the Savior to come. Zechariah, he, he said, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is a beautiful, beautiful prophecy of Zechariah. He said, you, my son, John, you're going to be a prophet of God. You are going to prepare the way for the Lord. That, that's Jesus. John was coming to prepare the way for Jesus and to share the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. John went, he preached this baptism of repentance. And, and now, how was that forgiveness going to come about? Well, Zechariah said, because of God's tender mercy, he's sending the Savior, Jesus. He's sending Jesus, who's coming from heaven. He's going to come like the rising of the sun on, on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. What had the people been waiting for? What had they been watching for? The faithful. They were waiting and watching to come out from under this darkness, under the shadow of death that had been overhanging since the garden. Zechariah described it as so utterly dark. You people are living in the shadow of death. I mean, this is, this is the, the image. It's death. And now what you've been waiting and watching for, this rising sun, Jesus, Jesus, he's coming to shine and like many of the, the prophets, Zechariah's prophecy was not really full of all original words. It was full of allusions and, and even some quotes of prophets who had gone before him. The tender mercy of God and the rising of the sun. What, is that, what does that sound like? Well, Brother Noah was just up here reading from Lamentations. Oh, no. Jeremiah, all about the wormwood and the gall, my soul's bowed down within me. But I call to mind this, and I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Wow. Zechariah's going right there. The tender mercies of God like the rising sun. Yeah, they're new every morning, every sunrise. The mercies of our Savior are there. Zechariah alluded to also Isaiah, who said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in deep darkness. That great light that Isaiah spoke of, Zechariah called the rising sun. 
Jesus was born. That was the dawn, the emergence of light. And then Jesus grew. And he began to preach. And what did he preach? Repentance. Repentance. Why? Because sin requires repentance. And, and Jesus preached it. And he was, he was shining and shining brighter. He was teaching the application of God's word and, and, and the application of God's commandments. Yeah, the sun had risen now. And, and, and it was beginning to burn out the shadow of death, to bring salvation to sinners. And what else did uh, uh, Zechariah say? And to guide our feet in the path of peace. Now, that shining sun didn't come to burn up all of the enemies uh, that are earthly. It didn't come to just burn out Rome so that you know, Israel could just take over. It was to remove the dark consequence of sin on the soul. It was to lead individuals to peace with God. Peace with God. That's this path of peace that, that Zechariah is prophesying. And he, he's speaking to, when Zechariah said the Lord is coming to bring salvation, forgiveness of sins, and to guide our feet into the path of peace, it's another illusion. It's, it's another reference to a, a prophecy, again from Isaiah, Consider this passage from Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus came into the world for this, to die. That's the plan. For Jesus, difficult plan, hard plan. He was pierced, crucified for our transgressions, for our sin. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, our wickedness. He was broken and poured out for all to see. He received the punishment that brought us peace with God because the just punishment for sin is death. And Jesus did that. God received the death of Jesus as justice for all. That is for all who believe on Jesus. Every, every person, every single person in the world is infected with the fatal disease. It's called sin. And by what Jesus did, by what he took on, by his wounds, we can be completely healed we can be completely healed of that fatal infection. And that's what Isaiah was prophesying about this coming Savior. And Zechariah is echoing these prophecies that the saving, forgiving, peacemaking Savior is coming into the dark world as, as a light. And as we approach now the celebration of the nativity of Jesus, the world remains in darkness. It remains in much darkness. The sun is risen. The light of Christ Jesus. You know, it's the answer to the sin problem. And the light is shining. The light's shining. But many continue to say, I'm going to just remain in the shadow of death. And they stay there. Like the leaders of Israel. There are leaders who say, I'm Christian. And yet they remain in the shadow of death. They remain in the dark. 
in a church in the United States. Wayward leaders, leaders that are taking people, leading them away from God. It's pervasive. Like the priests and the kings who led Israel to worship idols and to call evil righteous. There are churches that practice the very same thing. We had a, this beautiful special Christmas presentation service, a candlelight service on Wednesday. And what, what we did, what was our aim? It was to exalt Jesus. It was to exalt Jesus for what he came to this earth to accomplish. We used songs and children's pageant and scripture to present the account of Jesus coming to the world. Scripture like Matthew chapter 1 that informs us Jesus will be born to save the people from their sins. See, dealing with sin, this is the purpose. This is the big picture. This is what we're supposed to see about what Jesus has come to the earth for. And we, we sung songs like, Oh, holy night. And I loved it that it was participatory. We all were singing, Oh, holy night. Long lay the world in what? Long lay the world in sin and error. And what was the world doing? At least those who were faithful, they were pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, a weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Yeah, to save us from our sin. Again, the reason for the coming of Jesus, this rising sun on, on a new and glorious morn was because of sin. Because the world laid in that sin and error, rebelling against God. You know, there were some here who were so encouraged. They were so encouraged, they decided, we need to do this again. Let's find another church that's telling the story. Let's go there. Let's hear it again. Let's be encouraged and let's be lifted up. And so they went to a local church. They went to a local church on Friday. A church that had Christ in its name. And they were anticipating again hearing the good news that Jesus Christ was born into the world to save sinners like us, ornery people who have the fatal disease of sin. And let me share with you how the pastor at that church opened the service. He recited a poem called Jesus at the Gay Bar. That was a short poem that portrayed Jesus at a gay bar dancing. And at the end, it says, a boy comes up to Jesus, touches him, and says, I beg to be healed. I beg to be anything other than this. And Jesus reaches out and touches the young man, and he lovingly replies, my beautiful child, there is nothing in this heart of yours that ever needs to be healed. And that was read, and it was endorsed by a church leader in a church called a Christian church. And I don't have an issue with someone envisioning Jesus at, at a gay bar. You know, Jesus put himself in all kinds of places and situations and with all kinds of people. You know, but one thing he never did, he never condoned sin. He never called evil righteousness. He called it out in whatever, whatever situation, whatever place he was in. And he did it kindly. He didn't, he didn't rail on people. You know, from the woman who was on her fifth man, who wasn't even her husband, 
And Jesus was kind to her, called her out for that. To the, to the hypocritical Pharisees, Jesus, again, would, would tell them they need to repent. Jesus would say, you need to be healed. He wouldn't say, you don't need to be healed. When I, when I heard that, and, and needless to say, the, the folks that went to, to look for that you know, church and to be encouraged, they didn't stay around after that, that poem. They knew this isn't going to tell the story. And when I heard this poem, you know, I thought of Brother Dan Hitz, whose ministry we support. And Dan has preached here, and he's given his testimony of how, how he was saved and turned from being a homosexual. In his testimony, Dan would say he was just like that boy in the poem. He was begging to be healed. And he's grateful. He's grateful that Jesus loved him so much. Love so amazing. He loved him so much, he didn't overlook his sin. And Jesus called him to repentance and healing. God's word is clear. The Old Testament, the New Testament, they're clear about what God forbids. And when a church leader denies God's word, it's no different than the rebellious religious leaders who led their people to sin. Some like to say, you know, love, love would never forbid love. And Jesus is all about love. Indeed, he is, absolutely. Jesus loved the woman who was caught in the very act of sexual sin. And he said to her, I don't condemn you. See, he wasn't unkind. He didn't, he didn't call her names. No, that's not... When we, when we interact with people, we're not to call them names. We're not to be unkind. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. But he added, go and sin no more. Now, what did that imply? She was in sin. He didn't say, hey, I love you. It's hey, okay. She needed to repent. And Jesus preached repentance. And he lovingly, he lovingly opened the door to repentance. He loved her enough to keep her from going to hell. That's the amazing love of Jesus to save us from the pit of hell. That's true love. That is the love of the light of Jesus. That's love. That's the amazing love. Jesus' love does not tolerate whatever we choose to do. You know, I'll be called hateful and I'll be called intolerant for expressing that. It'll be said of me that I reek of human corruption and I use God's name and his scripture to excuse bigotry. But I just, I, I just see scripture and the plain words of scripture as clear. It's really the first rule of biblical interpretation. If you read it and it's just clear and straightforward, there's no visions, you know, there's no images. You just take it for what it means. Now God says, don't do it, don't do it. You know, I, I wonder, I wonder if the love of Jesus tolerates all sorts of things that his, words, his word says, don't do. There's clearly commandments against. You know, because we might say, well, those, those things don't hurt anyone. And those things are done among consenting and committed adults. You know, I wonder then about the garden. 
I wonder about that first couple in the garden. Well, they loved each other. They were committed to each other. And together, they chose to do something that was pleasing to them. And it felt good. And it didn't hurt anyone. Even, even though it defied God. But maybe, maybe, just maybe, they heard God wrong. Maybe they could just interpret his words, right? Maybe they could interpret, don't eat from this tree, to mean, well, go ahead and eat from it. You know, as long as you show love to the tree, and you're kind to the tree, and you leave a little fruit for others, you know, don't, don't just strip it bare and leave it empty. Well, God didn't really mean, don't eat from this tree, he meant, don't eat from it if, if you're going to you know, take everything. Leave some for the next person. You know, after all, to ignore that one tree in the forest, well, that'd be kind of bigoted, wouldn't it? Kind of shunning that tree. Showing, showing some bigotry to that one tree. Now, we, we can go through all kinds of interpretation gymnastics here. But God told the man, don't eat from it. And the woman, when she retold it, she said, God said, don't even touch it. And you know what? God gave no explanation. He didn't explain to them why. He just said, don't do it. Even though the fruit was pleasing and it tasted good and, and really taking the fruit harmed no one. There was no one who was going to starve because they took the fruit. But God said, don't do it. God made a boundary. He said, here's the boundary. Don't cross it. Didn't explain it. He owed no explanation to them. But an, ex, an explanation came. Who's the one who explained all about the tree? Who's the one who interpreted God's words? Well, it's the same one that said, it's okay. You will not certainly die. The interpreter, the one who was telling them all what it meant, well, that was the serpent. And the serpent keeps speaking today. You know, and the serpent, he's saying things like, my beautiful child, there is nothing in that heart of yours that needs to be healed. That's a lie from the serpent. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus came to shine the light on the boundaries that we crossed. That's, that, that's part of the light of Christ, to lead our feet in the paths of peace, peace back with God, come back from on the other side of that boundary. This was the, the prophecy of Zechariah. He came to heal us. He came to heal us from the scourge of sin. Sin, which are those things that God says, just don't do it. You know, whether he explains it or not, whether we like it or not. See, the voices of the world, the voices of the leaders in churches even, are the voices sometimes of the serpent interpreting God's word and explaining to us, well, it's okay because of love. Jesus loves, so it's okay. You can go beyond that boundary because it's loving. And if you don't allow going beyond that boundary, well, then you're just an intolerant, hateful bigot. But that's not love. That is not love. That's the voice of the serpent. The love of Jesus, the love of Jesus calls us to repentance. The love of Jesus was fully expressed this way by the giving of his life. The love he expressed 
when he was pierced for our transgressions, when he was crushed for our, our iniquities, when he received the punishment that brought us peace with God, when his wounds brought healing from the deadly disease of sin. That is love. And that is the love of the light of the sun that's shining, the light of the world. This is the light that shines to bring us out of the clutches of the lies of the serpent. The serpent lies. And the serpent interprets God's word to say, evil is righteous. Zechariah said, the rising sun will come on us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet in the path of peace with God. That light of sun, that, 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 that light of Christ Jesus, it rose, yes, on the day of his birth. And that light is shining. The sun is up. The sun's up so that we can see these serpents of deception who will call bad good, who will call evil righteous. Be in the light of that sun. Be in the light of that sun. Don't let the darkness of the shadow of death prevail over you. You see the big, see the big reason why Jesus came to save us from our sin and to heal us from our sin. And don't ever say to someone, you don't need to be healed of that. No, you do. You do it. It's a good thing. It's an amazing thing. Let's not let the shadow of death prevail over any of us or over God's people or over God's church. Let's go tell it on the mountain. God sent us salvation. Will you tell that from the mountain? Will you tell people God sent us salvation to heal us from our sin? Let, let, let's stand and just let's encourage ourselves. Let's sing that again. Go tell it on the mountain. This is the big reason that Jesus came, the huge. See him in the little. See him in the mundane. See him in the ordinary. But see the huge. See the big reason that he came. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. God Almighty for sending the light of the world, the sun that's risen and is shining, Jesus Christ, our salvation, our Savior from sin, death, hell, and the grave. And God, may we never, ever forget that's the reason for the coming of the Christ child, that he humbly gave up the estate of heaven to come to this earth and be pierced for our transgressions and our sin. God, to, to be wounded for our iniquities and our wickedness. And Lord, that he's healed us from sin. Thank you for that, God. And may we see that salvation and be people who aren't ashamed to say Jesus came for that, that we would be telling it from a mountain. Lord, help us, help any of us who might be taken by some vain interpretation of your word, by some tempter who's saying, well, the word of God means this. It doesn't mean that. God, I just pray we'd be people of your truth and your word, and we wouldn't fall to that tempter to believe the love of Jesus would ever condone wickedness or unrighteousness, but he loves us so much. He wants us clean and healed 
to be with him for eternal life. Thank you for that, God. Bless your people with it. May we be encouraged and lifted by what Jesus Christ has come to do for us and give his life. Amazing love, amazing love. May it just ring in our ears today the amazing love of Jesus, the Christ child. Bless everyone with it as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.